Okay, in this episode, I'm going to be talking about the difference between sport protection training and real protection training. And I'm going to throw in a little bit of police work training as well. Uh, This is a suggestion that was brought up to me by a follower on Facebook. So I think it's a great it's a great topic to uh to talk about because it is one that is commonly misunderstood. So Calvin, thank you very much for this suggestion. I'm going to dive right into it. Okay. So one of the reasons that um you know that I feel comfortable talking about this is I've been doing protection training since really the beginning of my career. That's how I got started into the industry. It wasn't by training pet dogs. It was right from the get-go. I started working with protection dogs. And primarily personal protection and police dog training. So patrol dogs. And then after that, that's when, uh, you know, later is when the pet dog training and the additional experience came along. And the sport, the, the actual sport experience, something that I've really, really dove into in really the past three, three and a half years, that's when I, I actually got into the protection sport aspect of, of protection training. Because up until that point, I hadn't really competed. I hadn't really done any sports. I really, it just wasn't my area. It wasn't my area of expertise. Um, it wasn't my field. And even now, I wouldn't say that it is my area of expertise, but I've I've gone into it in in such depth because I want to be good, I want to learn, and um, and I find that I'm actually learning. I'm I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty decent. Um, my club is doing pretty well, um, you know. And we we work with dogs from different breeds, different backgrounds, different uh, genetic traits, or uh, different pedigrees. And so I've I've uh, you know club still still kind of young. Club is maybe about 3 years or so. And we've had a kind of a, a a nice fluidity when it comes to members coming and going, helpers, mentors that I've had along the way. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that, but the bottom line the 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 start of this of this episode is basically to tell you that um I do have a lot of experience with protection training and patrol dogs and now recently in the past three three and a half years or so protection sport training and I know that there is sort of a sometimes some misunderstanding but also just the the unknown people really don't know you know what's the difference between protection sports protection training for you know for real protection work and maybe you know maybe some police work I'll maybe spend a little bit of time in that too because I have trained um a bunch of uh police dogs early early um you know it was the first school I went to that's the the type of work that I was involved in there was um a lot of uh, a lot of that is something that uh, I did, you know, daily. So I'm going to start by giving you an analogy. Okay, I like to use analogies because they're very useful to illustrate something 
to a person who is familiar with the analogy that I'm going to use, but maybe not so familiar with the subject that I'm trying to put a light on. So let's think of protection training as fighting, okay? Just the analogy is going to be fighting. This is just a simple analogy that I like to use that I think does a pretty good job at, at painting the picture of what I'm trying to say here. Let's say you teach a, a person who doesn't know how to fight uh, or a child that doesn't know how to fight. You tell that child, hey, kid, let's teach you how to fight. Okay, so what's one way we can do it? We can, um, you know, you could do it yourself if you know what you're doing. If you know how to fight, you could definitely do it yourself. Um, or, you know, maybe you and your you and your buddies can get together and, and you and your buddies have experience fighting, experience being the key word. And then now you, you grab your child and then now you and your buddies can can teach your kid the fundamentals of fighting. Um, or maybe maybe you're. Uh, you have a specific style. Maybe your background is more on, um, you know, Taekwondo or boxing, or maybe you don't have a whole lot of experience in that. So you take your child to an academy, to a school where they do one of those sports, you know, or they do either Krav Maga or they do Taekwondo or they do boxing. Okay. So let's just take this child through that progression. Whatever approach you take, whether you take that child to to that formal academy, that formal school, or you do it yourself because you know what you're doing, you're going to go through some basic things about fighting, right? Some basic, basic things. You're going to teach the child how to make a fist. This is basic stuff. I'm not saying that um, you know one style is better than the other, but you're going to teach that child how to make a fist. You're going to teach that child to protect his face. You're going to teach that child how to strike. Okay? You're going to teach how to rotate that that fist to give a strike. Okay? And you're going to teach him how to, how to hold the fist properly so that, you know, the thumb is outside of the fingers, not inside of the fingers where the child will punch and now the uh the thumb is going to get jammed. I do have a background in in uh, in Taekwondo, and I did get into a lot of fist fights when I was a kid. So um, I, I have a, a little bit of a, of an experience with that analogy that I'm using. So you're gonna teach that child how to how to jab. You're gonna teach that child how to cross. You're gonna teach that child how to do an uppercut. So these are some basics. You're gonna teach a child how, that child how to how to have the proper stance. Okay, and it doesn't have to be sports specific. It could be, all right, you know, Jimmy, when you are fighting, kind of be light on your toes and, uh, you know, don't get stiff, hands up. You're going to have your fists ready to go. And this is what a jab looks like. You're going to have that child practice the proper form of how to do a jab. Okay, this is just an example. Um, and and so let's say you progress that child and and let's just say now that Maybe you're doing Taekwondo. Maybe that's your background. Or maybe you're taking them to an academy where they do Taekwondo. So what's going to happen is that child is also going to learn how to maybe do a kick, how to do a front kick, how to do a push kick, maybe how to do a side kick and um, round kick, all of that, right? So the child is going to get those basics. The child will probably also learn how to do some grappling, 
how to how to do some evading some um dodging maneuvers how to uh you know how to block these are basic things now you could say that as this child or this adult who's learning how to do this they're learning they're acquiring a skill and that skill is how to use their fist how to strike properly how to do damage okay now as this person progresses you could say hey jimmy you know you've been doing taekwondo for this many years you can go to this you know this little maybe not even years maybe like a few months uh maybe a year or so and then you could say there's a there's a little uh you know demo or there's a little tournament and we signed up little jimmy to go to that tournament now based on his skill based on his preparation and based on the work that his mentors have done uh with this child that will be that will be reflected on the on the mat when they go to this tournament now bear with me okay i know this is about dog training but really try to try to stay along try to try to stay with the analogy so let's say little jimmy does great he does awesome right he he actually does great um he he has some pretty quick strikes he gets a lot of points and does amazing now let's say little jimmy goes back to school uh after about a year or or so of doing constant uh you know constant uh training in in martial arts or boxing or whatever and that kid goes to regular to his regular school right not not the not the martial arts academy. He goes to his regular school. And then a kid tries to pick on him. And he tries to bully little Jimmy or or uh, or subject here. And little Jimmy, of course, is going to try to do the best he can to avoid confrontation. Because that's one of the disciplines that you learn doing martial arts. But when escape is not an option, what's going to happen now? Little Jimmy is probably going to be in that situation where... Now he has to use his body. He has to learn the skills. Okay, so here's what here's where I'm going to stop for a second, and I'm going to ask you some rhetorical questions. I want you to think about these questions as you're listening. Do you think that little Jimmy is in a better position to defend himself because he's had about a year or so of martial arts training? Do you think he's in a better position to defend himself in a real fight? since he's had this formal training, than he did prior to that? What is the answer? The answer is probably yes, right? He's had several months, a year or so, maybe even more of formal training where he's done this three times a week, where he's learned how to strike and he's done hundreds of repetitions. He's done hundreds of blocks. So he is in a better position to do well in this actual fight. Okay, he is in a better position. Now, here's the next question. The fact that little Jimmy took about a year worth, worth of, uh, worth of uh, martial arts training, does that guarantee that little Jimmy is going to win that fight against his bully? What do you think? I would say the answer is no. There is no guarantee. Okay? It puts him in a better position but really, there is no guarantee. There are a couple of things that are, are play, at play here, right? Maybe Jimmy doesn't feel comfortable in a setting outside of his studio, outside of his, 
uh, dojo or you know whatever whatever the uh, the venue w- w- you know we'll call right we'll call it just a studio. Maybe little Jimmy doesn't feel comfortable with that. You know, maybe little Jimmy is a rock star and on the mat. But maybe when it comes to a real fight, now things feel a little bit different. Now that could could go into it. Well, Jimmy goes, well, crap, you know. This person's not following the rules. He's throwing things. He's grabbing. He's scratching. Right? He's kicking in the groin. Right? So that right there is one of those things that maybe little Jimmy did not get a whole lot of. In his studio, in whatever whatever sport that he was learning it in, or how to fight in, right? Here's another thing too, um, you know, maybe this little kid is not obviously he's probably not this kid that is bullying him. He's not gonna fight clean. He's probably gonna be dirty, right? He's probably gonna grab things and throw it at little Jimmy. He's probably gonna try to sucker punch him. He's probably going to do things that little Jimmy might not be used to in that sport atmosphere <clears throat> okay now um just a little bit of a side side story here um a good martial arts school will go into real life scenarios as well but let's assume that wasn't the case with, with our subject here so now the question is well does he know how to handle that does he know how to handle being sucker punched that he knows does he know how to handle being surprised and being held in the chokehold when he wasn't expecting that Right, these are all questions that we can answer as well. Yeah, this obviously means that there is no guarantee that Lord Jimmy will do well with this year, two years of martial arts training or boxing training, and uh, you know whatever sport you want to pick, and 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 apply it to a real fight. But will he be in a better position to defend himself? He will be in a better position to defend himself if versus him really not having any formal training okay <clears throat> so now let's say let's say little jimmy went a different route maybe maybe the parent was like uh, you know i don't like sports i don't like taekwondo it's stupid it's not realistic but you know maybe the dad goes you know i've done um i've been in a lot of street fights you know i do mma right and the dad maybe goes, I know what it's like to be in a real fight. I, you know, I've, I've done things where I have learned the skill of street fighting. So rather than teach my son how to do these fancy kicks that are not really going to serve him in a real scenario, I'm going to teach little Jimmy how to do that from the beginning. And so maybe Jimmy's little lessons on top of a proper jab, proper cross, proper stance, how to protect his face, on top of doing those basic fundamentals that the other sports will also teach him. Maybe on top of that, the dad is also going to teach him, hey, you know, here's also what you're going to do. You know, you're going to create distance by throwing a kick, any kick, as long as it's forward and pushing. Don't aim for the face. That's a waste of time. Aim for the for the waistline and below. Create space. Um, you know, uh, after you've created space, maybe run away right or after you create space and you're against the corner now you go for the face or uh you know now you grab now you throw you grab you grapple you throw them against the wall and then you run away now this person this kid now is learning street fighting from a person who knows how to do that right so now little jimmy learns how to do a street fight but let's say 
little Jimmy goes, hey, you know what? I've done a lot of street fighting with my dad. This is how he's taught me. And now let's say little Jimmy is again in that hypothetical scenario. A bully comes, comes along, tries to mess with little Jimmy with our subject. The question is, now that Jimmy has had, um, you know, good mentoring, good training with his dad, who is a street fighter, real life, real fighting. Is Jimmy in a better position to handle that fight? Absolutely. Is he in a better position than the previous example of, you know, a year's worth of training of Taekwondo versus a year's worth of training of street fighting skills? Absolutely. He's going to be in a better position to handle that street fight than if he had done Taekwondo or boxing for that year. Okay. Now they're both, both sets of skills are going to put him in a, give him some advantage, but the street fighting is probably going to be uh, a little bit more of a, uh, a little bit more of an edge for, for our subject here. But now let's say, okay, well, Dan, little Jimmy did pretty well. Still doesn't guarantee that he's going to do well, by the way, but he's in a better position to handle that bully than if he had just learned how to do sports. And uh, now let's say little Jimmy signs up for uh, for uh, you know for a, a basic karate or or boxing tournament, not MMA, but just boxing or or like karate specific rules, right? He signs up. How's little Jimmy gonna do? He just learned how to do street fighting. He could probably handle himself in the streets. How is little Jimmy gonna do in a sport venue on the mat? Maybe not all that great. The rules are not going to be there. Maybe Jimmy's going to do things that are not going to be acceptable in the sport. So that's kind of the analogy between real protection sport train, real protection training, and sport training, sport protection training. Okay. So now let's bring, let's tie that in with our dogs. People like to say and uh, i'm not sure why it's it's got to be pride or or it's got to be um ego but a lot of people like to say one of two things they'll say this thing right here they'll say ups i don't do protection sports it's you know it's it's stupid protection sports are a waste of time i want real thing i want my dog to bite for real and um now not every protection sport is the same. Okay, it really is not. And I hate to say this, IGP people, I'm sorry, but IGP it is probably the most predictable protection sport there is. I've seen very soft dogs do decent and well in IGP. Um I've seen IGP3 dogs that in terms of hardness and in, in terms of uh toughness they're you know they're okay but they're they're fairly soft not not like puddles that they're going to melt but um the thing is IGP is a very predictable sport now I'm, I have nothing against IGP people love IGP formerly known as IPO and Schutzen. so people love that sport and it's awesome it's a great sport um but it is a sport that is so predictable in in the sense of the dog knows that it's definitely a sport now the other sports are the same way by the way okay but uh but there are sports where the uh the scenarios are a little bit 
a little bit more realistic. I'm not saying they're realistic. Nothing compares to real life training. But, you know, I'll give you, I'll just flat out tell you, you know, what I do. I do PSA. And if you watch my videos, you've probably noticed that all of my videos or most of my videos are PSA in terms of protection training. Okay, now in PSA, we do have a bite suit sport. And we do have predictable, some predictability element, a predictable element to the sport to a degree, right? Then we have surprise scenarios. But, um, you know, the, the, um, the thing with, uh, with the difference between protection training, real protection training and sport training is that if the dog does protection sports, and that's all he does, whatever sport you want to choose, okay? But especially IGP, a very predictable sport, um, but if the dog just does sports and then you put him in a real life scenario, the real life scenario, meaning maybe somebody breaks into your house. Now think of the biting, okay? The biting that this taught, this dog was taught to do protection sports. Uh, the biting is the fundamental. That's the basic. That's the equivalent of the jab, analogy that I gave earlier. So the dog is learning how to bite, how to how to uh, either pull if it is IGP or how to go forward and push into the bite with a full, full grip. Okay, that is the fundamental. That is the basic. The dog is learning how to do damage. Dog is learning how to use its mouth to to make contact with a person. Now, if if a real scenario happens, is this dog in a better position to handle that? scenario than if it hadn't had any protection training? The answer is obviously yes, he's in a better position. Okay. He at least knows how knows how to bite. But there's a guarantee that this dog is gonna do well. Absolutely not. Okay? Because just like in our example with little Jimmy, maybe Jimmy did well in the mat in a studio, but in a real fight, no rules, suddenly Jimmy goes, crap, I'm not used to this. Same thing could happen to the dog. The dog could go, well, what do you mean you break it into the house? I don't understand. What are you talking about? Uh, you're not presenting. Where's your sleeve? What's going on here? Why are you not presenting? There's no sleeve. Where's your padded stick? Uh, where's your clatter stick? Right. Um, where's the field? So you have scenarios like that that Typically, sports don't have. PSA does have some of these some of these elements, by the way. PSA in the higher levels, you are gonna be sending your dog in a in a in a close in a close room. There are carjacking scenarios, um, and I'm not saying this to to tell you that PSA is better than any other sport. I'm just telling you some of the elements to PSA that some of the other sports don't have. So. We're back to, you know, does that sport dog, will he do well in a real scenario? He has the basic skills to bite, but he has probably not been taught the reality of a real scenario. He hasn't gone through the reality of a real scenario, right? To go from a person that is passive to in a split second charge and jump at you. Right to go from uh, an open field 
to now you have a person closing into your space, breaking into your house. That's an element that is not normally there. So like I was like I was saying earlier, back to my point, people like to say one of these two things. I don't like to do sports. I like real training. Uh, sports are a waste of time. Okay? And they'll go, no, sports, no, nah, we don't do sports. I do for real, like real life training. And then uh, they look down on sport dogs. <laughs> They're like, that's just a sport dog. It's not going to do well. Now, some sport dogs will live up to that. They'll go, yeah, yeah, I'm just a sport dog. I'm not going to bite anybody for real. Uh, but some sport dogs will tear you up. They'll, they'll just flat out send you to the hospital. Okay, because it is based on character also. And then you have some people that go, oh, my sport dog can totally do that. And they'll go, yeah, my sport dog, you know, he's a level three, pick whatever sport, right? My sport dog is a level three or level two. He can definitely do, an, you know, can definitely do a real scenario. And they'll go, hey, I'll, I'll bet you money, you know, stand out there without a sleeve, without anything. I'll send my dog on you and I guarantee you he'll bite you for real. And so... You have, uh, you know, people that go, oh, sport dogs will do great. They're great. And then the pe- people that will say, no, 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 sport dogs are not going to do great. Real life is real life. That's completely different. But what they're both, they're both right. They're really, in a way, they're both right. And in a way, they're both wrong. Okay. Um, you need to think about this, about the difference between a sport dog and a real protection dog, not as in black and white. But think of it as it really depends. It really, really depends on the dog. It goes, it's going to go to character. Because here's the thing. There are dogs that will not get any little, any training at all in protection. They will not see a sleeve their whole lives. But some dogs are going to be good, real protection dogs without any little bit of training. Without one seeing a sleeve or a tug, they'll just do well in a real life scenario. Somebody breaks into a house, that dog without a single day of protection training will tear that guy up. This is character. This is temperament. Okay, This is flat out temperament. That's how it is. There are dogs that will do that without any little bit of training. Okay, They'll handle a real life scenario much, much better. Okay, without formal training. And if we want to tie that into our human analogy, you're going to have some kids, some people that even without any formal training in boxing or or, uh, martial arts will handle themselves decent in a real fight. And some people obviously need the, the training. So that is the difference between sport protection training and real protection training, okay? So if I want to do sports, I am going to train that dog for the end in mind. So the end in mind for this sport dog is going to be the trial field. So I'm going to look for precision, and I'm going to look for the most points that I can possibly get. And I'm going to look at that, and I'm going to base my training all the way from the fundamentals, from the basics, and I'm going to always keep that in mind. So what, am I, what are we looking for? Full push grips. Awesome. So that's one thing, one area that I'm going to spend a lot of time in. What else are we looking for? We're looking for, uh, you know, nice, firm grips, not 
you know, not like chewy grips, nice firm grips. So we're going to spend a lot of time doing that and encourage that, encouraging that for the rest of that dog's life if it's going to be a sport dog. Uh, what else are we looking at? We're looking for a beautiful, just popping out, right? What else are we looking for? Depending on the sport, we're looking for a, for a bark and hold or an out and guard, silent guard, whatever the case might be. Is that something that's going to be useful in a real scenario? Maybe not. Yeah, maybe, but maybe not. So if I'm going to be training a sport dog, I'm going to be spending a lot of time in, the, in those areas because we're doing sports to get the most amount of points. Now, if I'm going to train a protection dog, which I have, yes, we are going to spend time on the bite. And we want that dog to have a nice, strong jaw, and we want that dog to learn to bite certain targets. But um, I'm going to focus more on scenario-based training for that dog, right? So I'm going to focus more on the defensive aspect of protection training for that dog. I'm going to put that dog in various scenarios, like breaking scenarios, carjacking scenarios, right? Uh, guy at the ATM scenarios, um, you know, person talking to you and then the next second later, they're, they're charging at you scenarios. So a lot of the training is going to be similar in that there is going to be biting, there is going to be protective equipment for the person, for the decoy, and we will do some civil agitation, which just means, you know, no equipment fixation on the dog. Uh, there are going to be maybe even, um, not maybe, but but very, very likely there's going to be muzzle agitation scenarios where the dog will be put in a situation where we'll go towards the, the, the decoy. Decoy is not wearing equipment. Okay. So I'm going to be looking at all these things because those are the scenarios that I want to prepare this protection dog for. Okay. I'm going to do even things like, hey, uh, you know, based on my tonality, based on the handler's tonality, the tone of voice, based on the, the handler's demeanor, that we can even turn into a cue. Okay? So those are things that I would focus on, on real protection dog. Now, does that mean that this dog that is doing real protection work, does that mean that this dog will be a lousy sport dog? If that dog has no preparation, yes, that's exactly what it means. But if that real protection dog has some preparation, meaning maybe once a week, this person takes that dog to the local sport club and they are also training for certain rules or also training for certain sport scenarios. Now the dog is learning or maybe has learned the basics of protection training, but it also is doing sport and is familiarizing itself with the sport arena. Okay. Now, will that dog do well in a in a trial in an event? Because it ha- it is getting that preparation. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Now let's go to let's take that to the flip side. If I'm going to be working a protection sport dog, yes, I am going to be focusing on all the uh, all these little things that are going to give me the most amount of points, just like I mentioned earlier. But does that mean that this dog is going to do well in, in a breaking environment? You don't know. You really don't know. 
Now, does that mean that this dog is going to do well in a carjacking environment? Depending on the sport, maybe not, right? If you do PSA, the dog is going to do pretty well, very likely, because um, even in the PDC, we're already doing a uh, hidden sleeve carjacking scenario. But uh, the other sports don't do that. So, uh, again, depending on the sport. So, is this sport dog going to do well in a breaking scenario? You don't know. That's based on character. Um, and, you know, training too. Not just character, but also training. Uh, is the dog going to do well in a carjacking scenario? You don't know because it's a sport dog. It hasn't seen that. Is that dog going to do well in a scenario where you go from talking to him to charging at him? Again, depending on the sport, you don't know that. Okay, but what if that sport dog also does some real base scenario training on the side, right? Or um, or once a f- maybe once a month or so, this person does some re- some breaking scenarios, you know, occasionally, maybe once a month, maybe less frequently than that too. Now this dog that does pretty well in sports. Now, this dog could potentially handle real break-ins in a much better um, manner because it's already seen that picture a few times. So, it really depends on the dog, uh, and it really depends on how many different pictures this dog has seen. Okay, and it's the same thing with patrol dogs, with the police dogs. You're looking at the police dogs in the same manner, right? Um, A lot of people kind of knock on the police dogs because they're like, oh, yeah, police dogs don't know how to out. Police dogs, you know, they, they have terrible bites. They don't target well. They don't have full mouth bites. And yes, um, I get it. You know, the, the, the turnout for, uh, the turnaround for police dogs from the company procuring the police dog, training the police dog, and giving it to the handler, that's a much shorter period of time than the time that a poli- uh, protection sport dog is going to go through before it trials. Okay, you're talking about a, a, a one of these companies getting one of these green dogs, training it, pairing it up with a police dog. By the time it goes on the street, depending on the age of the dog, depending on the dog, depending on the team, this dog could be in that company for like maybe five months or even less. And then in about four months or so, five months already be on the streets. Maybe longer. Okay, I'm just giving you kind of a uh, a quick number, quick window here. But I've seen that. They go from Europe to the company. They're in the company for about four or five months. And then after that, they're paired with their handler who goes through a few weeks, uh, depending on the company. It could be anywhere from a couple of weeks to like eight weeks of training with that handler. Now, after that, that handler is on the streets with this dog. Whereas a protection sport dog, you're probably going to spend a little bit of, a little bit more time. You're probably not even working with a green dog. You're probably working with a, a young young dog. So, um, you know, you're you're not working with a two year old dog. You're working probably with a younger dog, and you're probably going to spend a little bit of extra time before you take him to the trial. So, that's the thing. You know, that's that's the uh, the main difference. It really boils down to preparation. And temperament. Okay. So to wrap it up, protection sport dogs can do well in real life scenarios depending on how much preparation they've had. 
real protection dogs, not sport, but protection dogs. And I'm just saying real versus sport because that, that kind of seems to make a nice distinction there. So protection dog, like per- personal protection dogs can do well as sport dogs if there is preparation. Okay. And police dogs, you know, they're police dogs. They're, they're not really competing. They're just, they're doing demos and they're, you know, they're, they're out doing the real thing. Um, and in general, yes, sport dogs uh, do look better. They do look flashier. They out nicer. They have better grips. Okay. Uh, they're fuller, they're calmer versus when you see a police dog or a, or a protection dog that has to be in a real scenario, you know, their, their bites are not always full. They're not always pushing into it. Uh, sometimes the target is a little bit off and they'll just bite whatever is available, which is exactly what they're supposed to do. Bite whatever is available. Uh, and the out is not always clean. You're not working with a compliant decoy. You're working with a decoy that is probably going to be fighting your dog the entire time. They're going to be screaming. That's a whole nother element of uh, you know of uh, of drive into the into the picture. So uh, it makes the dog much much more driven um, and much much uh, less likely to comply to an out when the decoy is screaming, hitting the dog making these high-pitched noises. So, yes, in general, the protection sport dog does look cleaner, does look better because the trainers are spending out, I mean, they're they're spending months and months of diligent preparation so they can get as many points as possible. I mean, think about that the the protection train the protection dog that doesn't do sports, they're not getting that. They're only getting maybe like a few bites here and there just to kind of keep them fresh, getting a few bites a month. Um, the police dog, they're getting training, but they're getting training with the other police officers from the department who are not typically dog trainers, and they're doing it with very limited equipment. So, yes, the protection sport dogs do look better, so a lot of people have this little bit of a rivalry where people go, oh, no, sport dogs are better, you know. Police dogs are crap. Sport dogs look way, way better. And, uh, you know, the the quote-unquote real protection dogs, they're just crappy dogs. And then people on the flip side kind of make similar arguments. Oh, that's just a protection sport dog. That's just a show dog. You know, that's not a real dog. A real dog is going to, you know, it's going to be dirty, and it's okay if they're dirty. So... There's this little bit of a rivalry when people sort of don't understand that it is about the temperament of the dog and it is about how many times each dog has seen the different pictures. Okay. But anyways, that's pretty much it. Hopefully that answered your question. Thank you for the suggestion. It was a great topic. I can certainly expand on it a little bit more at a later time. We're going to wrap it up on this one for now.